Hello and welcome to Palestine Deep Dive. Uh, I'm Mark Seddon. Uh, I used to work for the United Nations. Um, but in a different life, I was editor of a paper called Tribune and a member of the British Labour Party's National Executive Committee. Many people will be wondering, why are we going to be talking to two guests today about a British political party, the Labour Party, uh, and what has it really got to do with Israel-Palestine? Well, our guests will hopefully be able to give us some answers because they've been at the sharp end uh, of a quite extraordinary uh, series of events within the British Labour Party, which has led to a record number of Jewish members of the Labour Party being suspended or expelled on grounds that are claimed that they are anti-Semitic. Now, uh, this may be a, 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 a simply inconceivable to many of you watching this from elsewhere in the world, but that is the state that we are in currently in Britain. And so I'm very pleased to be joined by both Stephen Marks and Jenny Manson. Uh, Stephen is a former deputy uh, chair of the uh, Oxford County, County, County Labour Party, and he was also a member of the uh, British Labour Party's National Constitutional Committee. Uh, now, that is the body that is actually in charge of discipline. But of course, Stephen has found himself disciplined himself and for reasons that we will explore with him shortly. We're joined too by Jenny Manson. Jenny, many of you may have come across Jenny. She's been a very uh, active member of Jewish Voice for Labour and a great support to Stephen. And of course, to the many other members of the British Labour Party who have found themselves disciplined. And there's another reason why we wanted to do this show with you today uh, and to introduce you to our two guests. It's because they have been finding it very difficult to get mainstream media interest and attention in serious, what to all serious cases, miscarriages of justice. And we've obviously, in rather different circumstances, had to wait 20 odd years for sub postmasters and sub postmistresses to get some justice. We hope that we will not have to wait so long for the 90 odd, and you'll, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Jenny, the 90 odd members of the uh, Labour Party, Jewish members, who have been subject to disciplinary measures. Very little coverage. Stephen, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, <coughs> just briefly, explain how it is after 40 member 40 odd years member membership of the labor party all of the positions you've held within it and all the commitment you've shown how was it that you came to be treated like this well uh, it's a long story uh, which i'm not fully aware of myself <laughs> but uh, uh, the so-called evidence against me uh, was largely uh, things that were on my Facebook page and uh, indeed fellow members of the uh, uh, National Constitutional Committee assured me that normally this would not be regarded as evidence. What, Stephen, uh, what was it, what was it that, that, was, that you did that uh, had you expelled? What were your apparent um, breaches of the Labour Party rules? If you could just briefly tell us what they were. Well, I was supposed to have uh, be guilty of conduct that uh, undermined the party's ability to campaign against racism and anti-Semitism. <laughs> it's just too ridiculous to take seriously. And um, basically, these were uh, uh, um, petitions and uh, uh, letters which many, many people signed. And uh, to my knowledge, I was uh, the only person 
singled out to be disciplined for having signed them. Uh, although in any event, it was never explained how exactly the uh, uh, my signature undermined the party's capacity to campaign against racism. And, and Stephen, um, can you tell us what what sort of what were the petitions? What what were the petitions you signed that you were singled out for signing, whereas others weren't? What what is it that uh, you were supposed to have done wrong in signing these? What 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 were these petitions? Jenny, I think, has the more of the details at her fingertips than I do. Jenny? Uh, shall I come in here? First of all, I must correct you, unfortunately, Mark. The number of dues on my list is 67. However, statistically speaking, and we've got a lot of we're on a lot of work then, we consider that um, dues um, are around six times more likely than non-Jews to be um, subject to uh, allegations of anti-Semitism. And interesting, if you're a Jewish Voice for Labour member, it's, it gets into hundreds of times more quite soon. So there is a targeting of, of us sort of Jews, which I'll come back to. Um, as Stephen said, I'm very careful with my list. By the way, I must have advised about 120 people, including non-Jews, not a, a single case of which did I discover what I would call real anti-Semitism. I want to talk a bit about the distinction between real anti-Semitism later when we get on to, because it's very, very, very important, particularly at the moment, to understand what the differences are. Um, so Stephen was caught under one of the anti-Semitism codes, which calls it undermining the party's ability to campaign against racism if you challenge what the party's doing. And Stephen and other people, including in one case only Jews, long before he was on the NCC, so around 2016, 2017, because he got onto the NCC in 2018 or 19, but year, years before, had signed petitions and letters saying, please don't weaponize anti-Semitism just because you want to get rid of Jeremy Corbyn, Jackie Walker and others, and setting out the case about the fact that anti-Zionism and critical Israel should not be conflated with anti-Semitism, that we were going down the wrong path. That's what he was guilty of, asking people. I don't know if there's a common law right to sign a petition and sign a letter, but what I do know is that when Stephen was on the NCC, they decided that signing petitions, unless they constituted some sort of enormity like hate crime, was an, a right for somebody. It wasn't something they should investigate. And the other thing is we know of no other person who signed those letters and petitions that's been investigated. And I do get to hear of people, particularly Jews who are. So in other words, Stephen was targeted for holding those views retrospectively. That's, that's, very, that's, that's very interesting, also very disturbing. And Stephen, if I come to you, how, how did you... How did you find out that you had been disciplined, and and how was it? You know, how was did you receive a letter? Was it explained? Yes, to you? I received an email. It was in fact in the middle of a branch meeting <laughs> that I was at in the evening, and I just happened to be looking at my emails, and here was this notice saying you've been suspended from the Labour Party. Hmm? So, so I, I left. Essentially, you were suspended from the Labour Party for signing various petitions and making an argument that you really you shouldn't be, that anti-semitism should not be used as some kind of political weapon um That's right. uh, to to silence people and and we have spoken to Kenneth Stern who as you know is the architect of the mm. the IHRA um definition of anti-semitism and he's been very clear with us um and with plenty of others he's written quite publicly that uh, you should not uh, weaponize anti-Semitism uh, in this way, He's, and not use the code to, to in this way um, to stop 
criticism of uh, Israel. So, or indeed, as Jenny was mentioning before we came on, or you were mentioning, Stephen, Israel's constitution. So yeah. why why do you think, I mean, is it possible that you, that you can tell us this? Why do you think that you were singled out, whereas others weren't, who, did, who signed these same petitions? Well, I think one reason was that I was on the National Constitutional Committee, and... Um, there was a campaign uh, to stop me being elected to it uh, because of my uh, uh, because of my politics, mm. and um, uh, there are very very few, but they exist. Very few cases of real anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, and uh, when they turned up, uh, the um, uh, panel were, were unanimous in finding it so, and the person in question was thrown out. So persons, I may mean, have been two, I can't remember. Um, and uh, so uh, it was uh, clearly a, uh, uh, a targeted thing. And I think that um, it's part, <clears throat> they decided that the best way of getting rid of Jeremy Corbyn was to smear his supporters as anti-Semitic because of his uh, support for Palestinian rights. And I think that part of the background to this is that many people in the organized Jewish community, which is uh, only a section of the total number of people uh, in the Labour Party who are who are Jewish, um, are so, uh, I don't know, have such a rosy-eyed view of Israel that they really, I mean, this is, this is being charitable, they have a real problem in understanding how anybody could be critical of the Zionist concept of a Jewish state uh, for any other reason except that they hate Jews. And for them to begin to get their heads around that uh, would um, involve uh, uh, severely undermining their view of the world. Mm. And uh, that is comparatively recent. I think it's comparatively recent because um, when, I was, uh, when I was growing up, and I'm getting on now, um, uh, people were broadly speaking pro-Israel, but the uh, the degree of identification uh, of the organized Jewish community with the Israel and with the Israeli embassy uh, was nowhere near like what it is today. And um, uh, that's one very important factor, I think. Mm. And the other thing is uh, looking at it, uh, well, as I say, looking at it rather cynically, uh, looking at it realistically, which means taking into account the cynicism of the people we're dealing with. Um, uh, anti-Semitism obviously is something nobody uh, in the Labour Party wants to be associated with or anywhere else, I would hope. And so it was a very successful smear. And most people genuinely could not understand why anybody should support uh, Palestinian rights or should question the completely hegemonic view, uh, Zionist view uh, of uh, the foundation of Israel and of the Nakba. And um, in my case, um, I remember many years ago reading a series of articles by Erskine Childers, who I think is the Erskine Childers who later became president of the Republic of Ireland, uh, in which he um, uh, gone through um, uh, the um, uh, he had um, uh, basically explained the background uh, to the Nakba. And um, 
dealt with he was he was on a, a um uh, an expenses paid trip to israel by the israeli embassy this was years ago it's about 1960 i only read about it later of course and um while he was there he asked the israeli foreign office officials uh, about uh, the the refugee problems it was called and uh, they said that they came out with this line oh well uh, there were radio broadcasts calling on the Arabs to flee so that the Arab armies could move in, uh, murder all the Jews, throw them into the sea and take their homes and property as an example of transference, because, of course, that was what happened the other way around. But uh, so he said, well, I'd be very interested to read these broadcasts. And they said, well, we have transcripts. We'll provide them for you. And they never turned up. They said, oh, we'll bring them to you at the airport. And they never did. When he got back, he made inquiries and found that the Foreign Office had a listening station, the BBC had a listening station on Cyprus, which had actually made recordings and transcriptions of every local broadcasting uh, station in the in the area. Uh, and uh, he had a look at the uh, at the transcripts. And of course, not one of them called on Palestinians to flee. And there was mm. broadcast after broadcast begging them to stay in spite mm. of the terror, especially after just a minute um i mean if i may uh, come to you jenny because you know i think what we've what, you know we've, we've got a situation whereby you know stephen was doing expostulating and mm. arguing and presenting um a different opinion to what may be the accepted norm of, 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 a, of a given time is now deemed to be unacceptable I mean, we we can. I'm sure people could debate uh, the what happened with the Nakba as they do. But if you can't even have the debate, that is the real issue. So, Absolutely. before you know, before going back to Stephen again and talking about the wider issues and both of you, I just wonder because you are you are fighting this now, and this is, you know, arguably a very important issue around freedom of speech and what rights a, a, an individual can have. Uh, in a in what is supposed to be a democratic political party, a lot of people have, of course, not been able to uh, go to law or don't know what to do or haven't had the the uh, the luck to know somebody like you, Jenny. But can you can you tell us something about uh, what you're doing to try and ensure that Stephen and others can? Yes. Uh, can continue to make these Sorry. arguments. Yes. So I wouldn't want to interrupt. What I want, what we haven't got onto yet, is the brutality of the treatment of Stephen. That's what I wanted to say something about. Well, no, I, if, if, yes, which is relevant to the law. If, if, if we get onto that, but if you could just please tell us yes. where we are okay. with the case, and then get on. Yes, and then, I will. Yeah. But the brutality of the case is what is made it in mm. a possible legal case. That's what I. That's what I meant to say. Yes. So yeah, the um, uh, and to say something a bit broader. So if you're a JVL officer or an activist like Stephen. Our figures show because Stevens on our committee are even more likely to be targeted. Now, what we've done is we, it, back in August, we raised the question of breaches of the Equality Act in relation to all of us as Jews. I mean, all the Jews who have been investigated or forced to leave. And as I say, when it comes to the officers, nearly all of them gone. I haven't yet, sometimes under the prescribed group. So it's a, a political targeting, too. And I want to say one other thing, which is that not everybody. I don't actually call myself an anti-Zionist, I call myself a non-Zionist, but it's exactly the same principle that criticising Zionism, uh, criticising Israel, is nothing to do with anti-Semitism unless you happen to have an anti-Semitic motive, and you let that be clear. So we tried, and we're still conversations with the Labour Party about breaches. In the case of Stephen, 
My view, the lawyer's view, and Stephen's view, is that it was so brutal, his particular case, that we would actually go further and do a pre-action letter, which means that a yeah. claim has been uh, lodged with the Oxford County Court. And there were two main legal arguments. We're getting funding from crowdfunding. Now, when the Labour Party hear that we've got crowdfunding, they go into an extraordinary frenzy of anger, saying, you know, you lot are polit politicising anti-Semitism by raising money. <laughs> it's quite extraordinary. But anyway, we are crowdfunding. But if I can just summarise it, under the Equality Act, there are various breach, uh, various um, rules that you shouldn't breach. Um, and in Stephen's case, we're going for, for two breaches. Indirect, sorry, direct discrimination in relation to his protected philosophical belief in anti-Zionism, which I could talk about, and harassment, which is why I want to talk about the brutality, because, I mean, Stephen can tell you the story, but basically he responded, they never responded to his response saying he was Jewish and his whole uh, history of Zionism followed by anti-Zionism and his long history in the Labour Party and his deeply held views about Israel. They never replied at all. They expelled him. That's very rare to be, ex it's quite common to be excluded for a prescribed route, which I can explain, to be expelled undermining. That's almost unique among the group people I've looked at. They really wanted him out is what it feels like. So he appealed, I don't know, Stephen, if you don't mind me saying this, and wait for it, the letter came back saying there's nothing in your appeal for us to consider, so your expulsion is still, even though we got legal advice on his appeal. It feels like a very brutal case to everyone who's looked at it. So we're going for these two things, direct discrimination in relation to his protected belief and harassment in relation to the fact that he said he was Jewish, that they ignored it, and that they never responded to him on a personal basis. It's quite... It, in fact, friends of mine who read the pre-action letter say they could hardly finish the letter, it, it, our letter, because it's such a horrible picture. It, Labour Party is actually acting, in my view, extremely cruelly to those it wants to get rid of. And it's not just us Jews. It's, I won't go into all the names, but you know the people's well, lives they've ruined. J Jenny, I mean, just on, on, the, on the actual case itself and what happens next. Yes. I mean... Uh, the the, the, the Labour Party, I mean, historically, um, because it's a voluntary association and all of that sort of thing, um, has often found itself kind of almost exempt from a lot of rules that govern other organisations, as you know. Um, possibly this is feeding into their rather casual approach to things, um, if we can say that. But, um, but, but, but the question is, how, when, when must they respond by and where does this go next? Okay, and um, you're right. Many of the cases have been taken under contract law, and judges don't all take the same line, but there is a sort of spectrum, and they say it's nearer a tennis club or a golf club than it is a yes. pub. Another, another lawyer, another judge where a case was won, said actually it's more like a, a, a trade union, a sort of public private organisation. Okay, that's contract law. We're going under equality law. They are subject to equality law. Right. They have no, um, most equality uh Law cases are employment cases, and obviously we're not an employment case, but the, the lawyers who advise us to also apply employment, employment law obviously have given us the go-ahead to go this far, as in they think we have some strong legal arguments. But we, um, we, it's our decision, not the lawyers. Because by the end of February, we have to tell county court in Oxford, I mean, we, the lawyers on behalf of Stephen, with my another advice, whether we're going to take the next stage. There are, however, there will then be obligations on the Labour Party. If we go to the next stage, the Labour Party will be forced to disclose information, possibly, and to, and to, to meet various dates. What would it mean? What would it mean? I'll come back to you in a minute, Stephen, if I, if I may. But yeah. what would it mean, Jenny, 
if you win for not only for other members who have not in such a brutal way perhaps has been as Stephen has been treated but but other Jewish members who have been uh, suspended or expelled in similar circumstances but more widely what will it mean Yes, well, in terms of actually what would happen, there'd be a, a, a compensation paid to Stephen. No, this is a, this is the really important question. Um, very importantly, it would establish anti-Zionism as a protected belief. That will be relevant in employment law and all sorts of other uh, other um, areas of law, including contract law, possibly. I think it will be the breakthrough. The mainstream media isn't totally uninterested in this case, by the way, or in these cases. The BBC uh, covered... Um, the earlier letter in August, particularly because John McDonnell backed us up. And um, The Guardian has covered the question of uh, protected belief in the past in relation to uh, a member of ours called Diana Neslin, against whom, by the way, the Labour Party dropped their case when we use this argument. I am perfectly happy, and I think Stephen would be, is that one repercussion is that Zionism also would be considered a protected belief. I don't have any difficulty. I don't think anyone should be um, uh, penalised for either side, whatever you think politically. But politically, this might be the breakthrough. What um, I, certainly Stephen must come back in. I'm like everyone else. I am unbearably disturbed by what is going on in Gaza and on the West Bank. I'm finding that the last few months I'm almost unable to sleep and, and live. But I'm also I'm so glad you mentioned the post office because I feel I'm I'm in this as not coming coming from the far left. And I say I don't call myself an anti-Zionist, not as a non-Zionist, but I do believe in something called truth and justice. And the the way Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> himself and all the other people falsely accused of anti-Semitism have been treated. It's got to come out one day. It's, it's, it's caused right. Two of our members died suspended for anti-Semitism. In one case, we even wonder whether her, her deciding not to have any more treatment was influenced. This is, this is cruel, terrible stuff, as I said before. It is absolutely shocking, Jenny. And, um, you know, kudos to you both for, for taking this battle forward, because what you were saying there for for for, for its ultimate possible effects uh, and safeguarding uh, people's beliefs is really very important. And Stephen, coming to you because, you know, we are in a situation whereby um, the past few months, as Jenny was talking about, with the the the, uh, the war uh, between Israel and the Palestinians, really for the most part. I mean, this is this has opened people's eyes in a way that they have hadn't been for quite <clears throat> some time. People are looking Absolutely. at the, these issues in a in a, in, a, in a in a different kind of way. They're not really prepared to accept an argument from, let's say, Prime Minister Netanyahu that to criticise Israel is to be anti-Semitic. And in fact, as you know, the chief rabbi here in the United Kingdom was has been making fairly similar comments. Um, and I think there's a greater realization um, amongst a lot of people that actually the the, the British Jewish community does not speak with one voice and the chief rabbi does not represent the Jewish community he represents a strand mm. so do you think that um in a way that your your case especially if it comes out the way that we all hope it does uh, and as all democrats surely must hope and all people who believe in justice must hope it does do you think that actually that helps for the, to, to get this greater understanding that there is a big difference between being um, somebody who, who is a, a, who's a Zionist and who totally supports the Israeli state and whatever it's doing and, and, and the other Jewish opinion that takes a very different view. And, of course, opinion is divided 
elsewhere. But uh, overwhelmingly, probably in Britain, it is certainly against this war going on. But how do you think all of that feeds in, your case could feed into all of this? Well, I think it's a, a key part of the background, whether or not it, what, it, what its uh, legal relevance may be, um, because uh, it, 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 it's um, especially if there is a, a verdict from the uh, tribunal in uh, The Hague before the uh, uh, end of the month, um, it will be very difficult uh, to, to say that uh, it's anti-Semitic to take the same view as the um, as the highest court, uh, the highest international court, especially mm -hmm. since what the Labour Party's position is supposed to be is that these views are so outrageous that they simply can't be taken seriously. Now, of course, the court in The Hague is not going uh, to give a, a decisive verdict in this case, people say two, two years or more. Uh, but if at least they say that there is a case to answer, uh, then it would become very difficult, I would have thought, uh, for the Labour Party politically uh, to continue to to stick to its to its guns, as it were. And um, one of the uh, one of the things that um, uh, in the case of uh, uh, Erskine Childers, for example, uh, when he wrote those articles in the uh, in the Spectator which I read some years later, obviously, I'm maybe getting on, but I'm not that old. And um, the uh, 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 effect then was that um, people just ignored it. Uh, or He tried to claim that it was uh, 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 the, the official version, which you don't hear anymore, that the uh, refugees left because they were told to leave by their leaders, which is... Uh, and nobody, you, you don't find uh, uh, Israeli sources using this anymore. And you get historians like Benny Morris, who looked into the Israeli archives uh, and came up with some very disturbing things and um, in, in effect ended up saying, well, this was justified because it was the only way that Israel could have been created, <laughs> which uh, you know, is quite an admission in itself. And... Um, uh, uh, that, that's part of the uh, what leads into the genocidal language used by many leading uh, Israelis, both political and military. Mm -hmm. And it's rather difficult to see how the that the court at the Hague could uh, uh, come to any other conclusion. Although what they may, as an interim measure, order Israel to do is another matter. I mean, whether they order Israel to to stop its uh, military operations entirely or whether they simply say that uh, uh, that they should not use this sort of language in future. Um, uh, but Stephen, or... if, I, if I could come back to the um, to the, the the issue of the of the divergence of opinion within the British Jewish community, the American Jewish community, the, the, the Jewish community in Israel Palestine, um, because you know for for an awful lot of people who who before this latest war broke out, I mean it was very often presented to people. There was a uniform Jewish view, um, but that has clearly never been the case. There is a there's a big difference between uh, people who are committed to the Zionist uh, ideal and, of course, the divisions within Zionism as well. I mean, we could probably talk about this all day. I mean, you, you would, it would be a great education for us. But 
Um, we can see, you know, in America and in Britain, uh, the Jewish bloc, Jewish Voice for Labour, lots of Jewish organisations campaigning for ceasefire and for peace and for a, for a, a settlement of, uh, between uh, the, the, the Jewish and, and Muslim and Christian peoples of historic Palestine. Um, and yet for so long, we've been presented with this kind of worldview that I suppose could be best summed up by the chief rabbi here, uh, that essentially if you disagree with what they say, um, not only is that unacceptable that you are anti-Semitic, and so we find this utterly absurd situation where someone such as yourself is accused of being anti-Semitic. Can you just briefly explain to us, if you can, the sort of the difference in opinions in the Jewish community and why well, it's <laughs> wrong for the media to, to present it as a kind of a uniform view and for political parties to jump on that bandwagon? I think that's uh, 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 partly uh, to do with um, uh, foreign policy and with um, uh, the uh, uh, there's an old saying the tail doesn't wag the dog when people put forth rather conspiratorial views about what they say is zionist influence in the united states although of course most american zionists are actually fundamentalist christians if you think some of the jewish yes. zionists are pretty loony you wait till you see the christian ones <laughs> uh, um uh so Nikki Haley uh, suddenly comes to mind. I don't know why. Oh yes, and now yeah. she's a moderate. She's a moderate. <laughs> uh, what are we coming to? But um, uh, what one uh, one uh, consequence is that in this country, where most Jewish people are white, uh, the overwhelming majority uh, pass for white. Um, the um, uh, result is simply because the Jewish community is quite small. It's only naught point. What is it? 0.5 percent of the population in the mm -hmm. states. It's about two or three percent, and mostly concentrated in big cities and is st in states which matter in the American uh, presidential election system. And uh, that means that if you're uh, if you're in New York or you're on the West Coast or you're in Chicago uh, and you hold views which maybe a majority of views will con Jews will consider to be insane. There are enough loonies in your, your immediate vicinity uh, 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 to make a viable base for a political movement. And that's the case in the United States to an increasing amount. I don't have the figures at my fingertips, but something like 40% uh, uh, of uh, Democratic voters, and of course the overwhelming majority of American Jews have historically voted for the Democrats. Um, are of the whole extraordinary, not extraordinary, but un unconventional opinions, such as that uh, the uh, uh, Palestinians in Israel are treated much in the same way as uh, African Americans were treated before the Civil Rights Act, and um, uh, even after, let alone. Uh, and um, uh, so there is a big shift going on there. And um, the other, what, what tends to happen here is that, that there isn't a critical mass of people of Jewish background who hold these views and they simply drop out of the Jewish community, um, which is then used by people like the chief rabbi as an argument about why he must be right. Their retention rate isn't really very good, I have to say. And um, the, the chief rabbi's statement is quite extraordinary because it's obvious that he simply hasn't read or is, hasn't been briefed uh, 
uh, on the UN Convention. And they, they think that, you know, it's enough to refute the, uh, <clears throat> to refute the charge of uh, genocide uh, uh, to say that uh, Palestinians are not yet being shoveled into gas chambers. I mean, that's what it would have to come to. Before, and even then, they'd probably find some excuse. So um, uh, the situation in America is nonetheless, is, is therefore very different to the situation here. Uh, but it is nonetheless shifting. And um, I don't think that the uh, uh, Jewish community official leadership have an answer to this. They don't, they don't really know what to do. Um, uh, except ignore it and of course that just um, uh, that just uh, makes the situation worse from their point of view thank you Steve. i mean we've, we've i mean we've taken the broader view but just coming back if i may to, to jenny and um the quite extraordinary treatment that uh, jewish members of the british labor party uh, some have such as stephen have experienced mm. Oh, is it the case that you know this is kind of a, an organization out there on a limb it is somehow acting in a way that others have not um is there something quite extraordinary that, that makes this different because we don't do, i mean is it this is the same with other political parties do they have they been taking it's, it's, it's very interesting when i was listening to stephen um uh, we've talked quite a lot about the fact that um Yes, there isn't one view in, in Britain. And in America, sorry, I'm coming back to your question directly. In America, it's it's really a significant phenomenon. Now, out of the six million Jews there, it's calculated that a third of them no longer support Israel, right or wrong. I say I'm not always using the word anti-Zani. Sometimes I'm just saying doesn't do not support Israel and do not consider that to be their identity. Um, but in I talk a lot to people in Jewish Voice for Peace in America. There, the Democrat Party has not turned on, on them in the same way. They don't have that particular. To why the Labour Party turned on us and whether it's unique, I'm afraid it's not unique in the sense that there have been some pretty strange conduct both in the Liberal Party and the Tory Party, but not to the extent that has been in the Labour Party. Um, and I think one has to be really careful about talking about um, Hasbara, which is the Israeli propaganda Um outfit but there's absolutely no doubt they were involved in the Labour Party if you've seen the lobby the Al Jazeera film mm -hmm. where there was a de definite attempt and I, I think in an interview I did somewhere else recently and um, the cleverest weapon they had against Jeremy Corbyn was anti-semitism nothing else damaged him as much as that and we kept on thinking it might stop and it didn't um so there's a combination I think of why it happened in the Labour Party um uh a very broad political wish in the Parliamentary Labour Party to get rid of Jeremy, coupled with um, uh, uh, propaganda which has affected, I speak to Israelis, uh, you know, take our sort of view of things. It's affected every country, but Germany and Britain, I think, most. The 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 um, link. Is that Stephen shaking his head? I think it's Britain and America. No, no, I, I was... Uh, who've who been more, more, sen more sensitive to this propaganda. Um, and... Um, Unfortunately, and this is, I think, not understood by people, what you might call the liberal establishment represented, let's say, by The Guardian and the BBC, have been very determined not to let this story out. And I think, it, again, it's partly political. Uh, my own experience is that there are very good people in both those two organisations um, who are willing and I do know what's going on. But there is a kind of consensus, again, a bit like the post office, other, other scandals to keep this story 
as it is, not to not to ruffle the surface of it. Um, so we get this kind of you know awful alliance of support for Israel by the government, as you say, by the people, the population, much much less. But fundamentally, Keir Starmer has gone along with um, uh, the line of the of the government, also on bombing the Houthis, which is another matter. But to my view, tactically and morally, absolutely worthless in both cases. Um, uh, so we've got the Labour Party um, supporting the, the government. Um, which I think is probably a major turning point for the Labour Party um, because of this build-up. Sorry, I'm repeating myself, but this build-up of both the political, the political will um, to uh, to keep the left out, and it's now yeah. become a, a right-left issue. Um, and you probably know the other candidates who are standing for, um, for, for who haven't been allowed to stand. Only think out of the parliamentary candidates, only one is broadly on our side. I gather out of all the people who've been selected. And far too many of them get a, a comment about anti-Semitism in there, like Jamie Driscoll did for having entertained Ken Loach. I mean, scandalous, scandalous going on. I think an awful lot of people who are watching this, and whether they're in Britain or elsewhere, looking on at this situation in sheer disbelief. I mean, Ken Loach, you mentioned, yeah. uh, if he was in France, he would be getting the Légion d'honneur, and he would be oh, he would be around at the Elysee having lunch with the president. But no, we're in a situation, and I wonder. Um, I mean, we, I, I, hearing what you're saying about um, Jeremy Corbyn and how anti-Semitism. Um, many believe uh, was weaponized and has now driven itself into what's left of the soul of this Labour Party yes. and is driving its foreign policy. But it brings me to another question, I suppose. Now, I know that you started out by saying, both of you, that this was a, you know, you, the weaponization of anti-Semitism. This was the petition that that you signed. You were against it. But... Mm -hmm. It's just quite conceivable that the British Labour Party now almost resembles one of those old communist parties of the 1950s, which <laughs> purged Jewish members, whether it was in Czechoslovakia or the Soviet Union or what have you. Mm. And do you think possibly, actually, but I'll ask this to both of you, if I may, beginning with Stephen, do you think it's possible that the, one of the reasons why perhaps the BBC or the Guardian, and certainly the Labour Party, really want to bury the stories? Because if you win then you could say that actually the Labour Party under Keir Starmer has been anti-Semitic. Well, that's certainly part of the uh, part of the motivation, I think. Uh, I think it's just partly is incredulity. Uh, the the uh, fundamentally Zionist assumptions have been so programmed into the um, political genes of Labourism uh, that uh, they simply don't don't know how to cope with uh, the Palestinian case, except that, uh, as I think I said, these people must think this because they because they hate Jews, and uh, therefore those Jews who have never bought into Zionism or who don't buy into it now mm. are uh, unpeople. They must be non-persons, uh, mm. to use an Orwellian phrase, and I think that's part of it, and. Um, uh, the other thing is that it just becomes harder and harder to uh, uh, adhere to the Zionist uh, assumptions about the history of the conflict when people can just turn on their televisions and uh, or their smartphones and see the most horrendous scenes. Mm. And um, 
that in a way is is uh, the most eloquent argument uh, which simply can't be uh, can't be replied to at all and mm. um, yeah. Jenny coming to you on that question yes. I, I find this really difficult to answer um I I we've been very careful in our literature and in our legal cases not to call the party anti-semitic but treating us unfairly as Jews. Clearly, we are what's called the wrong sort of Jews. You may have seen the, the, the video, the film that was done. Mm. Um, and they do hate us. And they hate us particularly um, because we have questioned their, their story and their agenda. And we risk it. People have got to know that we're disproportionately targeted. It's in quite a lot of, even though the mainstream media may try to stop the story, you get a lot of coverage in the Middle East Eye, of course, and, and, mm. and it's become a known... I get into quite a quite a tongue twister on this one, if I can bear to bear to, <laughs> to try and express it. What I think's happened is that you can't actually say that Keir Starmer or his leadership um, uh, are anti-Semitic uh, in the sense that they hate all, all Jews. Um, I think that would be difficult. However, the party has become well, incredibly unjust incredibly, I mean, and just beyond um, forgetting all the, the duties of the law towards not only us, but Palestinians. And in a strange way, I think we're now experiencing, as I was saying to Stephen earlier when we taught it, um, real anti-Semitism of the sort that says those Jewish people, they're very powerful, aren't they? They're getting together, those Jewish Voice for Labour people. They're, they're, they get they raise money. That's why they hate us raising money. They raise money. That's what Jews do. And I've experienced a tiny bit of hostility to me as a Jew, giving the Labour Party a bad time. So that's why I say it's a bit of a tongue twister. I think mm. it's getting into the language now. You know, you're too mouthy. Why, Jenny Manson, do you keep on writing to us here at The Guardian? I'm not actually getting that, and I've got good people, but why are you going on about what happens to you as Jews? You see what I mean? It's getting it's getting a very unhealthy atmosphere here. And one other thing on, on the change in the Jewish community, I wonder if a speech I gave, and I keep on remembering, not once it was a good point, but when I, I've read the diaries of both my, my father and my an aunt of mine way back in 1919, <laughs> and, um, um, and in both cases, in one in Russia and one in Britain, there's a conversation about within a family, the word um, Zionism was being talked about already, and my grandmother was friendly with someone called Zangwill, a famous early Zionist. There was conversations about Zionism and, of course, about politics and in Russian, the Bund. And in this, in this, both families, there were members who were Zionist, anti-Zionist, communist, anti-communist. But nobody ever said the other one was anti-Semitic. I mean, it's, this is a complete breakthrough. It's not that there wasn't anti-Zionism. My family were neither Zionist or not Zionist, rather, like I'm saying, it wasn't a conversation about that. But nobody would have said the other anti-Semitic. This is the this is the the, the breakthrough, the terrible breakthrough of the yeah. last few years. It's discoloring yeah. uh, conversations. It's making intense nastiness between Jewish groups. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. Yes. And it's so dangerous for the world. There's a there's a I mean, I, I know we can't unfortunately we, we'd love to speak all day, but unfortunately you probably haven't got the time. We haven't, and unfortunately are, are we probably couldn't even keep our viewers for hours, but this is such a fascinating conversation. Um, because really, it's, uh, you wonder at the, at the heart of this, is there's such a crudity, actually, in yeah. politics, uh, such an ignorance, uh, that people, um, and I've come across this, by the way, 
you know, I was in the Labour Party for 40 odd years and I knew how the disciplinary committees worked and I knew how everything worked and I knew how brutish Labour politics could be. But there was something from the trade unions, something rooted within the party that actually, you know, justice would prevail and that all these mechanisms. I mean, Stephen was on the National Constitutional Committee back in the day. Had he been examining himself, he would have been pulled in before effectively a jury. Um, he would have had a proper fair hearing. But you wonder now that this the sheer crudity and ignorance and brutality of a particular group of people, uh, T. Dan Smith, you'll remember, said, you know, half yes. a dozen people can take over a political organisation and run it effectively, which is what he did in Newcastle. But <laughs> perhaps that's what's happened here. And so... Jenny, what you were just saying about the most extraordinary thing that, you know, the Jewish people can be accused of being anti-Semites, which just is a, a non-secretary to anybody with half an ounce of intelligence, is a result of this crudity and this that has infected British politics and has given us actually such a low-grade, possibly, I'm ranting now, but low-grade politicians mm. in so many respects. It's a mm. it's a it's an illness at the heart of an organization. And low grade journalists. I mean, you're an exception. There aren't very many journalists who've looked at this with, with clarity. And some of them on the right, as we know, and there's some marvelous people, but very few. Mm. Well, look, uh, both of you, we very much appreciate your time today. Uh, we wish you all the very best because not only for for you, Stephen, um, and for all the, the 60 odd, as you corrected me earlier on, Jenny, um, members of the Labour Party who have been treated in this abysmal way, the Labour Party should actually be de delighted and wanting people to be members, not trying to find reasons to expel them, but there we are. But more importantly, I suppose, beyond your individual case, Stephen, is this is the ramifications that could flow from what we hope will be your, your ultimate uh, victory in the courts. And in the court of public opinion, the more that people understand and can hear and learn about it. And so in our small way, we hope we can play a part in that. And thank you both of you so much for joining us today at Palestine Deep Dive. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.